It's Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. It's 2017. Actually, it's 2021 as I record this, but the day we were in the studio was February 2017. Graham Haynes, my guest on the topic of his father, the magnificent Roy Haynes. This is part two of three. Hey, we're using a new sound process, our Munster Dummel sound processing. So you can let me know if you hear a difference. Come find us at Instagram. We are deep underscore focus underscore podcast on Instagram. And that's a great way to place to find out what we're doing, what we got coming up. Okay, part two of three, February of 2017. Graham Haynes on the topic of Roy Haynes at Birdland and elsewhere. That's how it rolls out. Yeah, you know, I remember now from listening to the tape, there's more talk in there. They edited on this recording, they edited some of the talk out. That uh, Symphony, Symphony Sid, um, there's some other things that Dizzy interjects that I think didn't make it on this record. But it's, you know, it's... it's, it's the core the is there. Is, all the music is there. Yes. Yeah. There, um, I think there are various versions of this have come out and... Um, I think uh, I was talking to Phil mm. Schaap about this the other day, and he was alluding to that. But mm. uh, Yeah, I'm sure he knows about all. He's played this stuff many times over. I'm sure. Yes. But, uh, wow, well, this was just an explosive night of music, and it's such so great that it's such a personal story for you that it was your trial by fire as a listener. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's why I chose this, and that's why you know we were talking about doing a couple of shows, and we were talking about some other stuff that my father played in with Monk and things. But this was first, you know. I mean, this <laughs> this, this recording uh, in its form on the ta- on the real real tape that I had as a kid. I mean, it's re- it's it's really very very memorable. It's it's a very important uh, influential uh, moment. 
for me as a listener and as a player, you know. And is it fair to say it's just as rewarding and rich? More so. You know, it's, 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 I don't listen to it every day. I haven't heard this record in some years, but it's always in the back of my head. But listening to it, you, you know, it's, it's like a lot of great music. You hear things that you didn't hear before, you know, things that, um, that you might have heard but you didn't pay attention to or just things that's, that's how great works of art are. There's always something that you didn't see or you didn't hear. It's there, but you didn't hear it. Yeah, know? yeah. So I guess I'm um, just thinking where these guys were at. I mean, I, uh, Bird was around 30? Uh, uh, okay, let me think. 1951, uh, Bird was 33. He died in 1955. So how old is that? Yeah, I think he was born in 19, August 1920, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, he was 30. He was 30, 31. And, uh... My dad was 26. My father was born in 25. But Powell was born in 1924, I believe, and so he would have been 27. Dizzy, I'm not sure what year. I think he was maybe 1920 also, or somewhere there around. They, they sound like grown men. They don't yeah. sound like kids. Yeah, well, that's the thing with the music from, you know, all the music from that era. I mean, even when I listen to anything from that era, from the 30s or the 40s, you listen to records of, of, of Lester Young when he was 32, and he sounded like an old, you know, any of those those great gentlemen who were in their prime sounded very, very much older than they were. I mean, when we think of people today, you know, that was that was an amazing time. Yeah. yeah. An amazing time. You mentioned Lester Young. He, I think, at this time was living in a hotel across the street from Birdland. So wow. who knows? Maybe he might have just just happened to. He might have been there. Or he might have been on the road. You know. Mm-hmm. But um, my dad said he was living in a hotel. So I wonder if they were both living in the same hotel. My father said he was living in a hotel not far from Birdland when they called him to do this gig. And like I said, Max was supposed to do the gig. Max didn't do it for whatever reason. I think he had maybe another commitment, whatever. My father took the gig. And uh, the rest is history. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Man, Graham Haynes, thank you for bringing that to light. Mm. My pleasure. My pleasure. We, you and I were so busy listening to that music while it was playing that we... Ran out of time. Completely <laughs> failed in a bit of housekeeping mm-hmm. of talking about what we might play now next. Oh, so, oh, that's cool. That's fine. That's fine. What's the time? Right, we're, we're in good time. We're good. We're, we're doing we're, great. We're doing man. okay. We're okay. Doing yeah, great. no, that's that's fine. You know what I would like to do? Tell me. I would like to play. Let's play that uh, Miles with Sonny Rollins. Yes. This is one of the records that I listened to in tandem with this record. Well, probably. After I heard this, I listened to that record. We had, we had a recording of this that was a seventy-eight. That was originally a seventy-eight record. If it's the same record, I think it is. I think and, so. And I, it's the only Here, why don't you? You're going to tell me. Oh, <laughs> unless you want me to tell you what uh, what we want to play from it exactly. And uh, while Graham takes a look at that, I will tell you. I pulled this out of the performing arts library library performing arts at lincoln center 
which is do a little plug for a fantastic resource movies and CDs and and uh, uh, operas and uh, historic documentation and Broadway costume sketches and all kinds of fantastic things and that's where I got this recording that we're gonna hear next so um, unfortunately if you want to go hear it, you got to wait till I bring it back. But <laughs> they got all kinds of other great stuff, and I will return it at some point. No. So, um, what uh, do we see? What we well, want? Let's, let's listen to disc one, Morpheus mm-hmm. Down in Blue Room. These are records that I. This is this is from a record that, like I said, when I was a kid, we had a seventy-eight of this. Wow. Yeah. Um, this is Miles Davis with Sonny Rollins. Uh, this was Miles' session that Sonny is playing on, that my dad is also playing on, and this is from 1950. Um, this is from 51 or 53. But um, so this is this is uh, released a two CD set, the classic prestige sessions 1951 to 56 miles davis and Sonny Rollins. it's it's somewhere between 50 it's somewhere around the time that they did the yeah. charlie parker recording my you know my dad uh my parents met each other when my father was playing with miles mm-hmm. um my father reminds me of that often <laughs> um and miles when he first left bird and put his band together my father played in that band um, so I guess this is that band, you know. Yeah. This is that band, you know. Uh, Miles left Bird in four, 1948, but I think he came back and started playing with Bird again. Then he left again. But in any case, um, these songs are some of the first solos I memorized as a kid, as a 13 or 14 year old. I remembered this. I, I I learned these solos and I played them and I still remember them, um, and I sing them often in my head, you know, or I play them on my horn often because these solos that Miles plays on these tracks are perfect. They're perfect. I mean, it's it's perfect uh, design, construction, architecture, whatever these. These are some of the most perfectly melodically perfect, and and the, all the chords are right where they're supposed to be, and some of the most beautiful solos. Uh, he he has that overall compositional sense in yeah. the solos. Yeah, he does. He does in a lot of his solos, and, but especially but at, least, at that these, time. These these are some of his first recordings as a leader. Yeah. So yeah. All right, we're diving in track one. Yeah. All right, here it is. Uh, you're listening to Deep Focus. We're shifting gears a little bit here away from Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, Bud Powell to Miles Davis and Sonny Rollins. Not a bad, uh, not a bad trade. <laughs> still, still in it. Uh, it's Deep Focus on WKCR. Graham Haynes is our guest, and Roy Haynes is our subject. <laughs> Thank you. 
You are listening to WKCR. Call the show Deep Focus. And Graham Haynes is showing us why and how uh, diving deep in some recordings that feature his father, the magnificent Roy Haynes. And uh, Roy, if you're listening, man, you, sir, are an inspiration. You really are. It's uh, such a delight reveling in this music. We heard a fantastic set from Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, Bud Powell that Roy was part of. And now we are in equally esteemed company with Miles Davis and Sonny Rollins. And especially the, the joy of getting to hear you, Graham, talking about your listener experience. Um, absorbing this music as a young, emerging lover of the music and player of the music and um, how that experience evolves as we uh, become more sophisticated listeners and maybe more sophisticated (laughs) humans (laughs) or just get older, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. This this record is the record that I picked up and listened to after I discovered the bird record, <laughs> and it was much you know like I said it was it was much easier to grasp. I listened to this over and over. I learned the solos. Okay, so what I was going to say about the preceding track before uh, Blue Room, the track Down. That's a record that I learned Miles solo backwards and forwards. It's a perfect solo. But the story um, that I was going to tell you was once Steve Coleman and I, who I played with much later than after I discovered these recordings, uh, we would go and, and, and sit in with a lot of guys when we were, you know, young, up and coming horn players trying to get into the music. And Chet Baker was playing at the at the Vanguard, and we went up to Chet Baker and asked if he would let us sit in, and he said, "Yeah, sure." And this is the tune that he called. Wow! And I'll never forget that. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't talk to him much, but I I was gratified that he let us play with him. You know, it was it was it was a great thing for him to let us sit in. But that he called this tune, I thought was quite interesting because it showed me a couple of things. It showed me, one, that he definitely knew this period. He was very much affiliated with this period of Miles. And, but I didn't tell him that I was Warhane's son, and that I was on the original recording of this song, you know. Uh, but he was very cool. He was very gracious. You know, he let us, let us sit in with him. He, he, was, he was cool. Chet was cool. You know. That's great. He's one of my favorite trumpet players and singers, you know. Um, he, uh, yeah, he wasn't uh, wasn't always known for such grace at that time. Maybe with musicians. I mean, it's uh, yeah, you know, like like anybody. There are a lot of stories about a lot of these guys, but you know, Chet. You know, there are a lot of conflicting stories about Chet. But I, I, I loved his playing. I loved his his singing and his playing, and he had a very beautiful lyricist and. Was was evident. I mean, this version of 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 down. I mean, it's the only version I know. I never heard any other version of anyone playing down. You know, I'm sure mm. there are some, but 
you know, it's Miles paring down all the embellishments and, you know, leading tone phrases and grace notes. I mean, it's very pure. And this, you know, this was, I guess, the middle of what we now call the, 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 uh, the cool period. You know, I didn't know that at the time I discovered this. I just knew this was a very relaxed, you know, it was relaxed enough that me, I, as a 13-year-old, could actually learn the solo. <laughs> mm-hmm. Much different than... Yeah, than, than the, the Dizzy. Than, than the Dizzy from 1951. <laughs> Which you know, and this is from 1951. This, is, this, this track, I mean, it's from 51 or 53. It says, this whole recording says, Miles Davis, Sonny Rollins, Prestige Classic Sessions, 1951 to 1956. But I believe this recording is either 51 or 53. Uh, remembering from the recording that we had when I was coming up. Um, so, yeah. And so it's after, certainly after Miles left Charlie Parker, it's after Birth of the Cool, but mm-hmm. well before mm-hmm. the classic quintet and those yeah. great Columbia records that everybody knows. Yeah. And he was had a very productive period with Prestige yeah. and uh, in this kind of style. Um, I have to ask... It wasn't too long after this, I believe, based on the last Deep Focus you and I did, that you got to know Miles Davis. And I'm very curious if you had occasion to ask him about this. No, 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 no. no. I met Miles in 19, I met him in 1974. Um, I met not too long after the period when you were listening to this music from oh yeah no no i didn't talk to miles about this uh when i when i met miles he was in that period with pete cozy and and, and tume and that and i was totally into <laughs> that too it was a completely different ball of wax completely i could but, understand that you would but i wouldn't yeah i wouldn't talk to him about that <laughs> but i i would be derelict in my wkcr hostly duties mm. if i didn't inquire no, no, but you know the interesting thing is, I I, I met Miles. My mom took me to meet him at a, at a club in Boston called Paul's Mall, in 1974, when he had the band with Cozy and 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 those guys, and uh, I was completely blown away. Now I met Miles again outside of his house about a year, maybe half a year later than that, and I had a bunch of records that I had a bunch of his records with me. Uh, from around that period, 74, 73, 72. And he, he was walking down the street, and he sees me with these records, and, he, and, he, and I was looking in the window of his house, and, and <laughs> you know, because I knew where he lived. And he said, what are you doing looking at my window? <laughs> and I took the records out and showed him, and I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of yours. He hadn't remembered from meeting me from the... So I showed him the records, and he... He, he went inside. He was doing his laundry or something. He had like a bag with clothes and so he was, I think he was coming from a larger mat or something. So he goes in the house and he motions for me to come in. And um, he sits, he goes to the keyboard and starts playing chords and starts showing me chords. And that I'll never forget. I'll never forget that. You know, there, there, there are a lot of things that come to mind when I think of Miles, but when I think of the, him showing me these chords, it reminds me 
it must have been the same thing that Dizzy did with him when he was that same age. Well, when he was a little older. But, um, you know, in other words, he was saying, okay, well, you know, I told him I was a trumpet player and I had these records of his, but he was like, well, okay, but you still got to learn this, you know. And, yeah, he, he... Two fives and, you know, all these basic progressions, you know. And he he spoke about that. He talked about, right, it was Dizzy that inspired him to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Learn the piano. much he, a known, known fact. That's yeah. what Dizzy would do with a lot of the younger guys, and that's what he did with Miles, so... Yeah. And uh yeah, and it it's it's still uh still resonating. Yeah. Did um I won't ask you if you uh if you saw the movie. We'll leave that for another time. No, I didn't see it. I didn't <laughs> see it. Not her, but I didn't see it. But, uh, um but you, cuz you isn't that that's quite a thing when uh an aspect of your day-to-day life becomes the subject of a feature film. Oh, yeah, but Miles was not a regular guy. (laughs) (laughs) Miles was not, you know, even by musician standards, you know, he was not a regular, you know, he was not, he he was, you know, he was dancing to the beat of his own drum. (laughs) (laughs) Did you you pick up on that as a 13-year-old hearing this just playing this record in the house and did did some of that come through well yeah there was a magic that's on all these recordings that i that there was there you know and then of course when i got into the um the cooking and steaming and working in those records and 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 around midnight you know there was a magic in uh, that came off the needle into the speakers into my ears that that i heard when i heard miles play uh at that time, you know, and um, you know, when I flash forward to seeing him at Paul's Mall with that group, with you know, it was a hell of a 360 degree turnaround, but there was a magic in that as well, you know, a different kind of magic, a different day, a different style, a different thing. But, you know, there was, you know, the Miles was, you know, you know, all these guys were magicians, you know, they were like alchemists in music, musical alchemists. And as far as, as, far as what I could see, it was passed on from Bird and Diz from his generation to Miles. And it was, it was, it was passed on, you know, I, I think these guys were dealing with things course they didn't know at the time but there's something that's in the culture itself that's uh that was passed down through these giants um Lester Young to Bird, Dizzy to Miles, Duke to them you know it's something that is over and above just music you know there's a there's an alchemy (laughs) you know and Miles Miles knew probably I th- my my opinion is that he, more than any other musician of the period of the day, he knew how to retain that magic and keep it in all of his music, in all of his bands, in all of his recordings, in all of his gigs. He knew how to retain that magic in a very simple way. You know, a lot of his music was not. You know, he wasn't work. He wasn't on the same level as at. You know, at 
these recordings we're listening to now obviously weren't on the same level as Dizzy, and he knew he couldn't play like Dizzy. He didn't have the chops to do that at the time. Later he did, you know, in the 60s, in late 60s, mid-60s when he was playing with Tony and, and, and with Wayne, and, you know, he reached another thing. But he, he, he had a way of, of distilling everything and, and simplifying things and keeping them sophisticated at the same time, you know, that was a, was a kind of magic that I think only he knew how to do that way. Yeah, he developed uh, vocabulary mm. that worked with his voice. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's more than that. Yeah, but it worked with his voice, but be, because he knew, he understood what Bird and Dizzy were doing, and he understood what Monk, he understood, you know, because he studied all that stuff. He, 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 but he, he knew he had to come with something else. And coming with that something else, it started out very... Uh, uh, streamlined compared to what those guys were doing, you know. But the the lot of sophistication in there, and the magic is in there. But it's streamlined, you know. And yeah, and the world followed him down that path too. Oh. Very true. Oh. Um, let's listen to one more cut from here, whispering, and then we can go maybe to the Bud Powell stuff. Sure, there's. Graham, the answer to every question tonight is yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious okay. if you have um, anything in particular to say about Roy Haynes playing on these, on this, this record. Yeah, um, you hear a lot of the same things. You know that first uh, that Morpheus, that first cut, which is a John Lewis composition. It says here. Um, it's it's really interesting that composition in it itself. It's like it's almost like you could hear the third stream aspect in it. Is it's really different, you know. Um, and my and my dad starts out with this long break, and then the piece comes in. Yeah, it's uh, you, you hear a lot of the same thing. You hear a lot of the same vocabulary that that's in the in the bird record, but it's it's just a it's a different context and different sense of composition and. And everything. You are listening to Deep Focus on WKCR. I'm Mitch Goldman. I have the great pleasure of having Graham Haynes here, and we have turned our eyes and ears on some of the many magnificent recording dates that Roy Haynes was part of and uh, providing the uh, rhythmic drive to. And uh, this one, no exception, it's one of Miles Davis's early prestige dates with Sonny Rollins. And um, do we have the rest of the personnel on this? On those tracks we heard, it's Benny Green on trombone, John Lewis on piano, Percy Heath on bass, and Roy Haynes with Miles and Sonny Rollins. That's an interesting ensemble, actually. A little um, aside from, you know, it is interesting the inclusion of the trombone, which there were, you know, um, there were bop, post-bop, and you know, groups that 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 had trombone, and there are those that didn't. But the use of the trombone is 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 interesting here. Miles clearly hearing some other things, and. Um, yeah, because like yeah, as we were saying, as I was saying, I mean, this is also around the cool period and then that whole birth of the cool, where they were like extending the orchestration and all that, you know, they had like French horn and right, 
all that. You know, it's, it's interesting too the choice of Roy, the perception of somebody who didn't know as intimately as Miles did, might think of Roy Haynes as oh he's a bebop guy, he's Charlie Parker's guy, he's playing that. Well, you know, my father, t- <laughs> my father tells me that uh, you know, that you know he was playing with Bird. No, he was playing with Miles first. And then he played with Bird. And then <laughs> he accused Bird of stealing his drummer. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know we know that was a big topic for Miles. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't win them all, I guess. So uh, that is interesting. That is interesting, actually. All right, so uh, we're in the studio with Miles Davis, Roy Haynes on drums, WKCR. Thank you. 
1951 or so, Sonny Rollins, Miles Davis, Roy Haynes playing the drums. And you might have noticed that uh, there was not a trumpet solo on that piece. What was our trumpeter doing, Graham Haynes? He was playing piano. <laughs> ah, a little stealth. Well, if you, if you saw Miles Davis play, as we did in his electric glory, he would usually generally have a keyboard on stage. and Much different type of playing. A little <laughs> different. Than with this, but it's all, you know, it's all in there. It's all the same, you know, the, the key, keyboard is keyboard. You know, the, the function, you know, the function of the keyboard in that electric band was, of course, uh, completely different than the function of the keyboard in, in, in this group, but the, the, the music itself is so much different. So, And back to the story you were saying about uh, Dizzy, telling young, Dizzy Gillespie telling young Miles Davis, you need to learn the craft of the piano, and writing at the piano was about developing the harmonic sophistication that came of understanding how the notes relate to each other. I think that was the way I received that story. Yeah, learn, learning where things were, you know, learning what the progressions are and what you could play and how you could uh, superimpose harmonies on top of harmonies and create more sophisticated harmonies and melodies over things. It's like you really have to know the piano in order to do that. And uh, it just helps you know, to, to to know the keyboard, and Dizzy knew that, and he could play, and uh, he passed it on to Miles, and Miles could play, and Coltrane was a great piano player, you know, he could play, you know, so all those guys, you know, I guess you could say it came from Dizzy, you know. And Coming Miles on. doesn't sound like he's, you know, ripping crazy solos or anything, but his, he's giving the architecture of the chords and his time is very specific. He's yeah, uh, he's copying, and it's, it's he's right. He's in the pocket. He's yes, in the <laughs> very much so. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm curious again about uh, your take on what Roy's doing here, and these tempos, and the language and interaction and well it's a very relaxed it's much more relaxed than what we were listening to before um he's in the pocket and he's he's playing is that he didn't have to he doesn't have to interject the same way and as much as he did with you know the previous stuff with bird and dizzy but you know he's he's you know he's swinging it's been said that those slower tempos are actually harder yeah yeah Yes, Lord. Yeah, I guess so. I would imagine so. I mean, for a drummer, um, yeah, for for my dad, I I, I wondered. I should talk to him about that. I should speak he, to him about it. He never it. seems to me. You know him a lot better than I do, and you've seen him play a lot more times than I do have. But uh, you don't usually see Roy Haynes betray. Uh, he's not one of these guys who's making you know goofy faces because he's you know he 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 he's always seems to be in his comfort zone playing. Yeah. Yes. 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 Addie's he, he holds, sitting yeah, up tall. Yeah. yeah. He holds. He holds. Seeing everything going on around him. Inside, yeah. You know, some yeah. drummers. You know. You know, some guys like go over to the other side and 
<laughs> you know? No, no, I think um, he's always been pretty composed as a player, but then, you know, he can, he can, uh, he can, he can let loose and, and then he uses his body in a different way when he wants to do that, you know. He's yeah. a dancer. He is a dancer. He's very much so. And he likes to dance on stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You are listening to WKCRFM New York or WKCRHD1 or WKCR.org. I'm Mitch Goldman. We call this show Deep Focus. And that is what is happening before your very ears. Graham Haynes is our guest tonight. And we are deeply focused on music on which Roy Haynes. Graham's father participated, and uh, Roy still swinging hard as ever. Greetings, Roy. And um, it's not Roy's birthday. It's not. It's just another great day to celebrate the musical achievements of Roy Haynes. Got a few people calling up wanting to know, like, if this was some special programming. Yeah, special programming. We're playing Roy Haynes music. Darn right, it's special, but it's not a particular <laughs> occasion other than... Uh, no, his birthday is coming up soon. His birthday is coming soon, uh, March 13th, and um, he's got a gig coming up soon uh, at, at the Blue Note right before his birthday. So, yeah, it is close to an occasion, yeah, a special occasion. But, you know, you asked me to to come on the show and play something that I really wanted to delve into. And that's why I chose, you know, the, the main thing for me, as you know, it was like, I, I, I really wanted to find that bird and Dizzy record. And then now we're kind of filling it out, you know, and, 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 and Bud Powell, we're gonna get into some Bud Powell later. There is no lack of fantastic material featuring Roy Haynes. Graham, if people want to stay on top of what you are doing, do you, what's the best way? Are you, are you a website guy? Are you a um, yeah, I tend to, I don't have a website at this time. I tend to post a lot of my gigs on Facebook so you can find out what I'm doing on Facebook. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm involved in a couple of different projects. Um, I have, uh, let me see, my next gig in New York is, uh, is a gig with Vijay Iyer. I've been playing with his six six piece group, and we're playing at Stony Brook College in next weekend, next week, I, th I believe. And uh, I'll be doing that. I'll I'll be leading a band, a project of my own, um, in March. Uh, I think it's the thirty fourth of March. I'll be at BAM Cafe with a group that I've put together for that concert. Nice. And, That's a great uh, venue. It is cool. It is cool. I haven't played there in a while. Uh, but lately what I've been doing is focusing on, on composing and, and studying music and uh, writing chamber music, actually. You know, that's what I've been focusing on in the last couple of years. I've been, uh, I've been you know, uh, Ornette Coleman, I would speak to Ornette from time to time I'd run into him at places and talk to him and we'd talk about his theory and this harmonic thing. He said, man, write a string quartet and then you'll understand. What? So I wrote one. 
Mm-hmm. So and now I'm writing another piece, and you know, so like now I'm I'm just I'm trying to 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 learn some things about orchestral writing and things. So that's that's what I've been doing lately. Uh, what I've been focusing on lately. Are there uh, any opportunities to hear? Um, well, not immediate. I have I have one commitment of a concert of my music that's not until the end of this year. That uh, I'm going to have a couple of my pieces performed. And um, that's going to be really cool. I will also probably play. These are pieces that I wrote that I'm not playing on. Mm-hmm. Uh, one's a string quartet and another's a flute, uh, six-piece flute uh, composition. But I will also play, I'll be playing a solo, I believe, with electronics on that gig. And I'm sure other things will come up. I'm trying to finish writing some things and also find groups that will perform these pieces but uh and and i've been doing a little bit of conducting actually in the butch morris mm-hmm. mode uh i've been conducting co-conducting the the uh the new blue orchestra which is a group that came from out of the the nightclub new blue that butch used to conduct and I played for some years with that group, and I've been conducting, co-conducting it, and that's an experience too. I don't, I don't know when our next gigs are coming up. We're, we're looking into going to the studio, but I've been doing that, and you know, playing with different people. Well, hit Graham up on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, check out my Facebook page, Graham Haynes. H A Y N E S, Graham Haynes, and uh, yeah, oh, you, you always got your hand in something very far-ranging and imaginative. And you got to keep moving, you know. The, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> got to keep it moving. You, know? you telling? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. So, uh, our, uh, where to? We're, I did it again. You know, when I'm slick, I kind of like, while the music's playing, I like line up the next thing, but... I'm not being slick tonight. I'm just, <laughs> you know, all the no, cards Mitch, are on the table. No, Mitch, you're always slick. You're always slick. Catch me with my with my pants down here. What? Uh, where to go? What well, to let's do? let's go to the Bud Powell with with yes. Roy, with with Mingus, and we'll, yes. we'll play a few things from that, and then I think we'll try and find uh, that other recording that my dad made with with Bud Powell with with Fats. Yes, and Sonny Rollins. Yes. The answer to every question is yes. That's our theme tonight. Uh, yeah, let's. Um, so this is actually another one that uh, sometimes we do this whole show. We don't play anything that's been commercially released. We're kind of bouncing in and out a little bit tonight. Um, this one is another one that you can find. It's under Bud Powell's name. It was released as the name Inner Fires. I think it was on the Electra label, and um, it's actually a live recording from the club. Cavacos, which was in Washington, D.C., April of 1953, and it's the monster trio, Bud Powell on piano, Charles Mingus playing bass, Roy Haynes on the drums, and um, we're going to get this cranked up, got to turn the the crank, got to put a little diesel in the tank on the old uh, (laughs) Victrola here, (laughs) and we'll get things going. But, um, yeah, this is uh, D.C. D.C. must have been um, a lively 
market for these guys, right? Yeah, yeah. D.C. was a hotbed. There was a, a theater. What's the name of the theater that was in D.C. that everybody talks about? I can't remember the name of it. It was a theater where everybody used to play in D.C. Oh, but, uh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. The Howard Theater, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there was a yeah. Howard Theater, which was probably a part of the Howard University. Stand to figure. Yeah, but um, yeah, DC had a lot of going on. It still got stuff going yes. on. Yes, yeah. yeah, good, lively music yeah. town to this yeah. day. I don't know anything about Club Cavacos. Maybe we'll see what we can find out about that. But mm-hmm. we know who's on the bandstand. It's Bud mm-hmm. Powell, Charles Mingus, Roy Haynes. You're listening to WKCR.
You are at the Club Cavacos in Washington, D.C. It's April 5th, 1953. Bud Powell on stage with Charles Mingus playing the bass. And the subject of tonight's deep focus, Roy Haynes on the drums with that fantastic solo. And the object of tonight's deep focus, does that work? Probably not. Graham Haynes here in the studio. I'm Mitch Goldman. And... Um, this I'm gonna I'm gonna put our cards on the table. You not uh, part of the uh, pantheon for you. You're less familiar for you, right? Yeah, I'm not so familiar with this recording. I remember when it came out, um, but I'm not that familiar with it. It's um, it's real interesting to hear. Uh, especially interesting to hear my father play salt peanuts. Yeah, <laughs> but um. Yeah, I'm not that familiar with this. How'd he do? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I think he killed it. He kind of crushed it. I think he crushed it. Yeah. Well, I got a little more information about Club Cavacos. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah, it was at 727 H Street, Northeast. Mm-hmm. Okay. Letter H. And uh, a long cab ride from the fashionable downtown nightclub district. Um, but it, it closed in 1955. Mm-hmm. But it has one of the most enduring legacies According online to this Washington Nightlife uh, website that I found, and it's the Sonic uh, legacy. It was there was a guy named Bill Potts who undoubtedly was the one who did the fine job recording this because it is actually good recording. Um, and he was like a house guy there, but it was uh, the place opened right after Prohibition. A mix of music, vaudeville, flotsam, and jetsam. Wow. So it's been there for a while. Yeah. Oh. Ballroom dance teams and peelers. You know what a peeler is? I wonder if Roy Haynes knows what a peeler is. Those strippers. Oh. Stripper <laughs> 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 or a peeler? A okay. peeler. They had peelers working that joint. Yeah. Uh, Club Cavacos. And uh, became a popular Cavac- place for... been a Greek guy. Sounds like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You'd think guy named after himself, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, popular place for servicemen and women. Spend a yeah. wartime evening over a couple of cold ones. Um, and there was a house band led by a drummer named Joe Timer. Good name mm-hmm. for a drummer. <laughs> <I'll say. laughs> and uh, orchestra composed of local jazz heroes and journeymen from lesser touring bands. And uh, the thing that put the place on the map, apparently, was February of 53, so like six weeks before the date we're hearing, Charlie Parker came through, showed up without his saxophone, and uh, according to the recollection of Mr. Potts, had to borrow a plastic horn to play the gig. Legendary. Oh, okay. So that also, I think, That's came cool. out on Electro Musician around that time, uh-huh. one night in D.C. Oh, yeah, okay. And then this one. So thankfully, you know, it's another one of those things that, like, just dumb luck. Somebody. Yeah, there were people hanging around. Birds gigs, I guess, that had tape recorders. They knew to come with a tape yeah. recorder. And thank goodness they did. Yeah. Or we'd be, uh, it would be a darker, sadder, lonelier planet. Mm-hmm. So this was one of those. Uh, it's just one great night. That is part two of Graham Haynes on Roy Haynes. Deep Focus from February 20th, Monday evening, 2017. And glad to say that Roy Haynes still with us. Graham Haynes still making fantastic music. Check out Graham. Take a look at Graham Haynes' work. H-A-Y-N-E-S. Everybody's been uh, kind of put on pause for the duration here of this COVID 
Uh, but I'm sure Graham's staying busy and he's going to explode out of the box the first opportunity he gets. And I hope he comes to a stage near you. He Graham has so many fantastic projects that he works on. Really interesting range and you know the whole notion of genres of music really is just not useful to Graham and he defies boundaries and barriers all the time in great imaginative ways and works with a big variety of musicians so take a look at what he's doing and uh, all the musicians that um, we have on the show and that we talk about on the show you'll find a lot of them if you come meet us on Instagram we are deep underscore focus underscore podcast and uh, it's a good place to share your comments and thoughts and find pictures of these artists and meet the guests and the artists themselves sometimes and uh, other people that love the music and you can tell me what you think of our new Munster Dummel processing audio sound right? these last couple episodes hopefully sound better than the old ones okay I'm Mitch Goldman that's part two part three is waiting for you right now.